Welcome to the Everyday Innovator podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. A design sprint is how you can solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days, maybe even less. That is also the subtitle of a groundbreaking book called Sprint. The design sprint became popular at Google a few years ago, which is also when Sprint was published. More recently, I'm seeing product managers using design sprints in organizations to create new product concepts resulting in realistic prototypes in just five days. One of the original contributors to the design sprint methodology is my guest, John Zresky. Further, he was a guest two years ago, sharing how product managers can make better use of their time in episode 210. Now, John's not just a practitioner, but he's also one of the original creators of the design sprint methodology, and he's going to take us through the five phases of a sprint, map, sketch, decide, prototype, and test. And as always, we take notes for you. Those notes are a great way for you to review the key points and also share them with colleagues. We're also making that even easier, trying something new, and that's that we're publishing a PDF action guide to help you and your team take action, putting the tips and strategies into practice. It is yours for free. You can get both the notes and the action guide at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 288. Let's talk with John. John, thank you once again for joining the Everyday Innovators. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me back. What has life been like for you in the last, what, couple of years since we talked? And right now we're in the middle of this crisis uh, that has changed everything. Yeah. Um, how's life? Life is okay. Uh, life is pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm one of the fortunate ones. My, my work uh, can be pretty easily adapted to being done at home and, and online. And that includes um, things like this, but it includes mm-hmm. giving talks. Uh, I've been doing live video keynotes. It includes facilitating online workshops um, and continuing to write and create new resources and trainings and things like that. So, so life is all right, but it's, um, I've found that I, I need to think a lot more about what the, like why I'm doing things. Like what is the Mm. core value of, you know, it's a, a sprint that I'm running or a workshop that I'm teaching because it's not as easy to sort of snap into the typical templates, you know, I think we, we all kind of had this idea of like, Oh, what does it look like to do a half day workshop? Well, you know, there's certain kind of default things that you expect to get. And, and that's not necessarily the same with online stuff. Like it's more of a blank canvas. So I'm finding that I have to do a bit more, um, introspection or examination Mm. of why am I doing this? What, you know, what, what part of this really, really matters and sort of design the, the activity and the engagement around that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Yeah, I've been doing this virtual experience for product managers for over a uh, decade now. Uh, oh, wow. Now called the uh, Rapid Product Master Experience, RPM Experience. So the rest um, of the world just kind of caught up with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and we do it virtually because actually it just works better, right? We, yeah. we stretch it out instead of doing a three-day you know, workshop. We do it over nine weeks and we meet once a week for an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a format that works really well. But I'm noticing now that we're doing it, it feels like the expectations are changing a little bit because people are online more and they're in virtual environments more. Um, and so we're, we're also rethinking mm-hmm. a little bit about 
how can we up our game and make it even a better better experience? So. Yeah, we've been um, putting together a guide for how to run remote design sprints and mm-hmm. talking to a bunch of people in the design sprint community about their experiences because Jake Knapp and I are are not the most experienced facilitators of remote design sprints. We've done very few of them, but we know mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks out in the world who have done many, many. And so we've we've been sort of interviewing them to put this guide together. And um, I just actually had a story come through today from a, a guy who works at, at IDEO who runs design sprints. And he was saying that he thinks that a remote design sprint is worse for the facilitator because it's harder, but it might actually be better for everybody else because there's, there's a bunch of benefits in terms of, you know, not having to travel and just, you know, being able to um, have a, a, a shared virtual whiteboard and having sort of this shared mm-hmm. roadmap and notes of everything that's going on. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely ways in which some of these online experiences are better um, but but they do require a bit more work sometimes. Yep, absolutely. Do you by chance know uh, Douglas Ferguson at Voltage yeah. Control? Yeah. Okay, good. Let's see, I would connect you too because he has some experience that would be helpful. Oh, yeah, totally. Too. I do know Douglas. Uh, so Douglas and I met, he was the CTO of a company called Twyla in Austin. It was a, um, a sort of a, an art um, e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. And GV, Google Ventures, where I used to work, invested in them. And so we did a design sprint with them. So that's what I, when I met Douglas and I don't know if he had done design sprints before at that point, this was probably in 2015 or 16. Um, and we spent a whole week with them in their office in Austin and we've kept in touch since. And he's hosted a lot of, um, workshops with my co-author Jake. Um, and, uh, Douglas is actually one of the, um, people we, we interviewed for this remote sprint guide. So that'll Good. be coming out soon. And his name is all over it. Lots of quotes from Douglas. Good. I'm glad you're already connected because I thought that would be a good resource for you. He was yeah. on the podcast here a few weeks ago. So, Oh, cool. Great. Um, very good. So we are going to talk about design sprints. Um, and you and uh, you, you mentioned uh, Jake Knapp. Um, you guys were at the foundation of this. Just give yeah. us that background. How? What was the need? How did this thing come up that got called a design sprint? Yeah. So I'll start with my piece of the history, and then I'll go back in time a little bit. So I started working at Google Ventures in 2011, and I had been a designer in the in the tech industry for. Uh, since like 2004 or five, um, I'd worked at a startup called FeedBurner that was acquired by Google. And then I worked inside Google and I worked at YouTube. And so when I went to Google Ventures, the idea was, all right, in addition to investing money into these companies, we're going to have people on staff who can go inside the companies after the investment is made and provide some type of operational support help these companies achieve whatever goals they have. And my perspective as a design partner at Google Ventures was, you know, that I, um, I was the expert, you know, I had sort of this experts mindset. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just go into these companies and tell them what I think they should do. But I realized really quickly that that was, uh, that was not going to scale, that was not going to uh, really serve uh, these companies in the best way possible, because I couldn't, I couldn't be the expert on everything. And so I started looking around for uh, more of a systematic, structured process to helping these companies and a way to really help them find their own answers to, to the big questions they had instead of us providing the answers. And around that time, I met Jake. And Jake had for probably a year um, been 
experimenting with this new process for team collaboration that he called a design sprint. And I think he ran the first design sprint in 2010. Um, and we got to talking and he knew a few of the other folks on the GV team and eventually decided that, um, these design sprints could be an amazing way for us to go into a company and, and bring that team together and help them focus together on whatever big problems or opportunities they saw um, and work through things in kind of a structured way and then do that again and again, make it repeatable, make it something that we could use with, with the, at the time, probably 30 to 50 portfolio companies, but would eventually became hundreds of portfolio companies. Huh. So we recruited Jake to join our team. So he came to Google Ventures in early 2012 and we just started running design sprints. And um, the first ones looked nothing like what they look like today. The, they were, um, we experimented with sprints that took weeks and sprints that were only two days and uh, sprints where we would do some of the exercises and then we'd break up and then we'd come back together, all sorts of different things. But week after week, we, we tried things, we tweaked the process, um, we, we tried to learn from our failures. Um, and after we had run a couple dozen design sprints, probably in, in early 2013 or so, we, um, we felt like we had a pretty good recipe, a pretty repeatable recipe that was based around the five-day structure, the five-day schedule that a lot of folks still use. And, um, and that was when we started to kind of talk about it and write about it. So we wrote a series of of blog posts in late 2012, early 2013. Um, and things just kind of started to, to escalate from there. And we, we published the, the sprint book in 2016 as sort of the, the culmination of what we had learned after, you know, five or so years of, of design sprints at Google and Google Ventures. Really good experience. We'll talk with John more in just a minute. I was at church recently and someone I met asked me, what do I do? That, well, you know how most companies create products and they actually care about creating products that customers love. Well, I help them do a better job with that. That is very descriptive of what I do. And I also love that response because people tend to lean in and they ask next, well, how do you do that? I said, well, I created this system that I have tuned over several years and helped many large companies and medium companies with this system. And it's called the RPM, the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. Okay, and then they lean in a little bit more. Well, tell me about that. Well, I work primarily with product managers, sometimes product teams, sometimes even executives, but I take them through a system where they learn the seven key knowledge areas to help them improve how they work together, how they create products better, how they create products that customers love. And it is a really effective system, and I've been helping so many companies recently with this. The RPM experience is helping product managers and teams reach higher performance, creating products that customers love. I hope you check it out, learn more about that, you can do that easily at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. I'll be glad to talk with you too. When you go to that site, you'll find a place where you can download information about the RPM experience and also easily schedule time for us to talk more. Hope you check it out. It really is helping organizations, specifically product managers and product teams, reach higher performance and create products that customers love. Now, let's talk more about design sprints with John. I was wondering as you were going into that, were you kind of thinking about this as like a startup incubator? Thinks about, you know, you're helping this or this startup, mm -hmm. uh, the startup incubator, figure out really how to get to a product, get to product market fit, and then trying to accomplish that in five days. Yeah. Is that a fair analogy? Definitely. I mean, the, the underlying, you know, the, the context was we 
we're partners at a venture capital firm and mm -hmm. we wanted our companies to be as successful as possible. Yep. But we also knew that because they were startups, they, because they were venture backed startups, they only had a limited amount of time to prove the validity of their business model. And just like everybody else in the world, these startup teams, they struggled to focus their time. You know, they had mm -hmm. too many meetings and too many emails and, and they were distracted and fragmented and, and overly busy and not always spending their time on the things that really mattered to their business. You know, that work that was kind of at the core of what makes this product valuable? What makes this business valuable? And so um, we wanted to, um, we wanted to help them find that focus. And we wanted to bring in a lot of the lessons that we had learned as designers, things like rapid prototyping or structured decision-making or customer testing. We wanted to bring those things into those companies. Um, and then I think the sort of the final piece of the puzzle was we we felt that it was important to, to do this as a recipe because um, we wanted teams to have something very, um, I don't know, very sort of clear and specific and proven that they could, they could grab onto and they could try just like you are, uh, you know, if it's your first time ever baking a cake, um, you follow the recipe the first time. And then maybe, you know, maybe as you get used to it, you, um, you make some tweaks and adjustments and you kind of make it your own. But when you're, when you're just getting started with a new thing, I think it's helpful to have a very concrete recipe to follow. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of our of our mindset with those early sprints. Yeah. And what a great way to get really get everyone on the same page that's yeah. in that new venture and Definitely. have them have that shared experience. And it's only five days. Um, in yeah. this five-day structure, so coming out of that, you talked about, you know, focus for sure. You've worked through yeah. prototypes. You've, everyone's learned. But what can you expect to kind of be the tangible thing that results after the five days? Yeah. So the design sprint really is all about creating a realistic prototype and testing it with real customers at the end of the week. So okay. um, that prototype is, um, it looks real. So it's a, it's sort of a realistic facade of the finished product, but mm -hmm. unlike an MVP, it's not actually functional. So it's not something that you can go and release into the world that people can sign up for on their own. But in the context of a customer interview of a customer test, you can, create the illusion that the customer is looking at the real thing, which means that the reactions you get from those customers are, are very high quality. They're very high fidelity. They can give you a great deal of confidence uh, that what they said in that session and those sessions, you know, oftentimes they are, they're subject to a lot of, a lot of uncertainty and doubt, you know, if you, people, there's a, there's a, a vast history of people not trusting user research uh, for, for good reason. Um, but, but what we found is that when the prototype is realistic enough, you can really trust how the customers react in that test. And that just gives you such a, such a, an important dose of, of data very, very early in your product design process so that you can start to make better decisions about what you're going to do um, the week after that sprint. Great. So I'm excited about this, you know, promise and effect uh, in five days, you can come yeah. up with really usable feedback from uh, actual customers on your product, uh, product yeah. concept here. Is five days the sweet spot? Have you experimented with doing, you know, shorter workshops, long workshops? We all want to get more done in less time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the, the short answer is yes. And the long answer is also yes. Um, <laughs> uh, we experimented a lot um, in the early days, 
And then we also experimented a lot in the, the latter days um, because uh, since the book came out, you know, there's kind of been this global community that has sprung up of lots of people in all sorts of organizations kind of getting the book or learning about sprints and trying it themselves. And of course, mm -hmm. like you said, everybody wants to get more done in less time. So people have tried lots of variations. We've tried lots of variations. Um, the To you know, be really specific about it, I think you can run a great design sprint in four days. Um, I don't think you can go shorter than that because I think if you do it's very difficult to produce that realistic prototype and to test it with customers in less than four days because each of those things takes a day to do. It takes a day to build that prototype and it takes a day to run those customer interviews. And so once you start to get down to three days, you're just, you just don't have time to do all this stuff. Now, that's not to say that a three-day design sprint-like process is going to be a waste of time. You know, there's still a ton of value in terms of getting alignment and buy-in from the team of generating ideas from everybody in the, you know, in the room of going through structured decision-making processes. Those things are all really, really valuable. But I think at some point, it's no longer a design sprint. You know, it's just another type of kind of collaborative working session. And so mm -hmm. uh, what we recommend now is if you're, if you've never run a design sprint before, do the five-day process. Um, and, and partially that's because uh, we know it works. Um, and because the sort of recipe or the, the agenda for that process is in the book and it's written out in like 15 to 30 minute intervals, um, but also because it includes a, a little bit of buffer time. There's some, some room to recover. I actually did a design sprint in, uh, I guess it was 2017, where at the end of the first day, the, um, the CEO of the company I was working with decided that we were actually focused on the entirely wrong problem. Hmm. And so we restarted the design sprint on the second day and we ran in effect a four day sprint. Um, and you can't do that if you're, you know, if you, if you started with a, with a three day Damn agenda true. or a four day agenda. So a lot of people who, a lot of teams who are experienced with design sprints use the four day format, which, um, the, uh, German design agency, AJ and Smart, mm -hmm. has sort of popularized and codified. Um, and I think it's it's a good process, but I but I think if people are totally new to the design sprint, they should go with the five-day format. Okay. Uh, that's helpful. I see framing the problem initially, we've talked about this many times, that's key to any time we examine a problem and the yeah. CEO redirecting things a bit. Um, that's really helpful if we aren't framing it right. We, we need to frame it well. So having time yeah. for that's good. Uh, I wonder in the four, and we'll get to the recipe in just a minute so we, everyone can understand what's all involved if you're not familiar with yeah. design sprints yet. But I wonder um, if you also use, if you try to do a four-day format, if you're using that fifth day for something related, right? So the thing that Douglas and I were talking about on the previous episode was what happens after the design sprint. Yeah. Because there, there's all this great energy, right, that goes into this. Everyone's really excited and you get done and you got this prototype now that customers are giving you good feedback on. And then there's sometimes this lull about, okay, what happens next, right? Yeah. Um, I'm wondering in the four-day format, if you could take, if you have or take advantage of that fifth day to say, okay, now let's put together the plan for moving forward. Um. The, I don't. I don't think that plan takes a whole day. So okay. that's not to say that there that there isn't something you could do with that fifth day, but um, but I think it depends on what happens in the sprint. So there are there are 
one kind of style of outcome from a design sprint is that things generally went well. You generally sort of, you were right. You've sort of validated your assumptions about what customers would find valuable or what they would understand um, and care about, but you got some things wrong. And so if you, if you, if you've got the results from that customer test fresh in your mind and you've got that prototype, it's all, you know, it's, it's already built. You can take a day and you can make some updates and some tweaks, and then you're ready to run another test. Um, and hopefully, you know, turn some of those, those, you know, red squares in your, your design sprint, you know, uh, customer testing scorecard, you know, turn some of those red squares to green squares as you, you figure out some things, you start to answer some of those questions. Um, so I think that's possible, but I, I, unfortunately not every design sprint goes that way. Sometimes right. there are some big things you got wrong. Sometimes, um, depending on where you are in the, the overall product development process, the next step might take more than a day. It might take longer than a day. So um, we often encourage uh, people to to do sort of a sprint wrap up on the f- on the last day of the sprint. So I, I you know I usually say Friday because that's the five day process. But on the mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day on um, the the testing day, and we provide kind of some templates and guidance to do that so that you can hopefully do it in. Um, you know, in an hour or less. Um, but, but that's kind of how I think about it. I, I think if you do the four day process, you're almost better off leaving that fifth day as a buffer day for everything else that people are, are dealing with. Because, right. you know, even though the team is totally focused on that one big problem that they're, that they're trying to solve or that one big opportunity, the rest of the world doesn't stop and you don't want people to feel like they have to be burning the midnight oil, staying up late, answering emails or whatever. And so there's kind of it's kind of nice to have that pressure release valve of saying, you know, um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start the sprint on Tuesday. On Monday, we want you to kind of clear the decks and take care of anything big that's going to pop up, um, and then you're free to focus the rest of the week. Um, and I think that's a that for a lot of teams, uh, sort of in the in the real world, that's a, a really good use of that yeah. extra fifth day. It's a good suggestion. And as you said, right, if you get to the end of the sprint and it didn't go maybe the way you had envisioned the outcome being, that's still incredible learning, right? We may have saved ourselves yes. months of going down the wrong path. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even a failed sprint, quote unquote, failed sprint is is not really a failure because, yeah, like you said, you you undoubtedly learned a ton of stuff. Okay. So take us through the recipe, right? If we have the, yeah. this five-day sprint in mind, where do we start? What, what, what's the key things here? Sure. The most important thing is that you have a big problem or opportunity. So mm. design sprints don't make sense when you're working on a little thing, a little feature, um, uh, sort of a nice to have project or a, you know, kind of conceptual, uh, maybe this is kind of this interesting thing we're thinking about because you're asking a lot of people, you're asking for a lot of time and a lot of focus. And we find that sprints work best when they're focused on something that's really important. The type of thing that's keeping people up at night the type of thing that you've been having meetings about for weeks or months and you can't quite seem to, to get any traction. So that's an important thing is uh, have a big problem. Mm-hmm. You need to gather a team. Um, you want to have sort of a team that, that reflects or represents the real team who's responsible for designing this product or, or moving this metric or reaching this type of customer or whatever your, your problem is. Um, and then, of course, the time 
Um, and so within the five day framework, assuming that you, you've kind of blocked off a five day work week, a Monday to Friday a week, um, there is basically one big goal per day. Um, and again, it's all in, in pursuit of that realistic prototype and that customer test on Friday, but there, there's sort of a series of, of activities and they all roll up to one big goal per day. And then all those big goals roll up to that, that big moment at the end of the week. Monday is all about problem framing. So Monday, um, we call that the, the, the mapping day. So you're basically creating a shared map of the problem that you're working on. And this is, um, this is kind of feels weird to people sometimes because you're, you're slowing, you're, you're going slow so that you can go fast. You know, you're taking a moment to say, I know that you have a map in your head and I know that you've got a map in your head and I've got my own mental map of what we're working on here, but let's get those things all together. So it's really about getting the team on the same page. Mm -hmm. Then once you've done that, Tuesday is about sketching and Tuesday's goal is your goal is really to, um, to generate ideas for what you might build or do to solve this problem or to take advantage of this opportunity. Um, and the thing that's kind of unique about Tuesday is um, it's right in the name. It's, it's that we, we sketch and we think rather than group brainstorming or other types of sort of shout out loud ideation exercises, we, we think, and there's some research to show that individuals working alone with time to really think through their ideas um, is going to lead to better, higher quality ideas than people kind of sitting around a conference room, you know, saying ideas out loud. On Wednesday, we decide which of those ideas, which of those sketches from Tuesday are the most likely to work, you know, uh, and, and, and Wednesday is one of the days where we, we pull in a lot of um, practices that are, a bit more common in the world of design. Um, so things like structured critique sessions. You know, if you if you go to design school, which I didn't do, but but if you go to if you study design, if you work if you worked in a traditional um, you know, sort of design discipline like graphic design or fashion design, uh, critique um, and critique done in a very specific way is a key part of that discipline. And we use we use critique, we use structured decision-making exercises Wednesday to help the team make a really good decision about which of those ideas they think are best. Then Thursday is when we build the prototype. So sometimes we're building um, one prototype of one uh, specific idea, but more often than that, we are creating multiple prototypes that represent multiple different approaches to solving the problem. And the sort of the key to the secret to getting that prototype done in one day is to focus only on the facade. So just like uh, the 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 set of like a, an old Western town in a, in a Western movie, the, the outside of it, the things that the, the audience, the customer can see, those things look very, very real, but there's nothing behind the scenes. It's not functional. It's not a real app or website that stands on its own. It's just a series of, of screens or, or, you know, the modified physical experience or, or piece of hardware um, that looks real enough that when customers see it, they think they're looking at the real thing. And then on Friday, we test our prototype. So we test our ideas, do a series of one-on-one um, -on -one customer interviews where we are showing the customer the prototype. We're walking through scenarios. We're asking questions. It's kind of like um, standard usability testing. Um, 
uh, and we're using kind of a structured uh, note-taking format so that by the end of the day, Friday, we know what's working well and what's not working well in that specific prototype. But more, more importantly, we have answers to the big questions for the sprint. And that's one of the things we do when we're framing the problem on Monday is we write down what are the big unknowns here? What are the big questions? Um, what are the big assumptions that we have about this project? And then on Friday, we literally have an answer. You know, Will customers understand it? Yes or no. Um, will customers be willing to pay a monthly fee? Yes or no. You know, obviously these are not perfect answers, um, but they are they are um, answers that give us a great deal of confidence that um, a, a, about what we've built, about what we've prototyped, that we can use as we move forward into the next stage of the process. Okay, that's excellent. And I want to go back through that to make sure we all have that, and cool. also ask yeah. you some questions along the way too as we go. Great. Um, so the. The first, there's just the planning activity, and I'm taking a few notes here as we go. Uh, the planning activity, just to get everything ready, right? Who's going to be on the team? When are we going to yeah. do this? Uh, do we have a big problem that we're going to go after? Yep. Great. Now, we day one is map. And <clears throat> as I mentioned before, I think reframing is a very important aspect of any problem-solving activity because we often look at a problem and go, oh, yeah, you know, and we start, I, I'm an engineer, I do this all the time. <laughs> we see problem, seek solution. And yeah, as exactly. Opposed, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to backing up and going, okay, is that the actual problem? Maybe I'm solving a symptom here. Maybe there's actually a, a different problem. Yeah. And a lot of time in exploring the problem, we actually get closer to moving towards the solution because it just unravels in the process. Yeah, so I, I see a lot of value in that. Um, yeah. And how are you getting people to share that mental framework? Uh, what's a tool there? Yeah. So there's there's within the sort of context of the the map on Monday. There's a few exercises that we use. Um, the morning is really about um, starting at the end. So kind of thinking about you know what is what is our long term goal here like why are we doing this what do we hope the world will look like for us and our customers when we're done with this whole project not just the sprint but the whole project we're also then thinking about um those those big questions that we have or those assumptions and the way that we frame this is kind of let's start optimistic so let's think about our goal but then let's get pessimistic and let's think about what are all the things that could trip us up on the way toward that goal um so you know, maybe customers. If it's a if it's a um, a financial services product, maybe customers aren't going to trust us sufficiently to connect their bank account, for example, because mm -hmm. we're we're a new a new brand. And so then, you know, then if we think that that's an important question, then we can come up with solutions to hopefully address that, hopefully build that trust with customers. Um, we also, um, we interview members of either the sprint team or the extended team, people who are not in the room to try to just bring as many different perspectives as possible together. The way that we capture those, um, sort of individual mental maps that everybody has is using a pattern that we use again and again throughout the sprint, which we call the, the note and vote. Um, although in the context of Monday, it's the note and map. And so the way it works is that um, each person has a few minutes to individually write down their thing, their idea, whatever it might be. In this case, it's the map of how they think that sort of um, the process of the customer interacting with the product or the service or the company, how that looks. And then uh, people kind of go back through their own individual notes and they kind of highlight or self-edit or circle the parts they think are most important. And we share all of those with the group. And then we vote 
um, collectively on the parts that we think are the most important or most salient. Um, And then we combine those things together. So that pattern of working individually to capture ideas, then self-editing, then sharing, then voting and deciding as a group and consolidating. That is a pattern that we go through again and again in the sprint. And that's that's how we how we um, capture those individual maps and create one visible shared map of the problem on Monday. Yeah, I love that, right? First, there's no flies on the wall. Everyone's involved in this process and you're, you're visually creating that together. So yeah. people are on the same page. They're on the same map that's up on the wall. Totally. And there's something really interesting that happens, not just on Monday, but throughout the entire week, um, which is that when people are involved in a design sprint, even if their their idea doesn't win, you know, even if their their approach to something or the way they see something doesn't end up being, you know, the thing on the wall that kind of gets selected by the group, they still feel bought in, right? You know, and and there's, I'm sure there's some psychology i'm sure there's research on this but there's an it's just something that i've observed again and again that when you involve people in a meaningful way even if they their way isn't chosen um they still feel good about it they still feel like because they were part of the process because they were heard because they got to participate they're they're on board Mm -hmm. yeah it makes a big difference Good. For, for a second time, I'm going to jump over things just a little bit here. Yeah. Um, so, but, but sketch, I, I think of that just as an early prototype, right? We're, we're sketching ideas. Or it's another way of, of thinking about prototypes. Yeah. Then decide. Um, no, and you, you alluded to there's no doubt structure tools there for helping us move forward. And yeah. we're going to refer people to the, to the book to get into more details on that. Yeah. And one thing I'll say <clears throat> really quickly, and I, I promise it'll be quick, is that, no problem. Is that we, we want to be be aware of what things individuals are great at and what things groups are great at and then and then create structures to support those so individuals are great at coming up with ideas so let's let's empower them to do that groups are actually great at making decisions you know the cliche of the wisdom of the crowd like all cliches, it's it's a cliche for a reason because there's truth there. And so if you can structure that process, it's not you know just an endless debate or, or group think, but if you can actually sort of harness that wisdom of the crowd, you can actually get really, really high quality decisions. And so that's why we sort of bounce between this individual work and then this group work throughout the week. Excellent. Yeah. And I've seen value in that too, right? And, and that also appeals to us who are introverts versus us who are extroverts. We both have opportunities to yes. right, excel in our strengths. That's a great point. Yeah. Okay. And then we're on a prototyping. The thing I'm most curious about on prototyping, uh, when mm-hmm. I've done design thinking workshops, the, there's this notion that we, you know, we're moving from sketches of potential um, realizations of the ideas, but of very low fidelity prototypes in a sketch to something physical that we can get our hands around. Um, and I personally really like low fidelity prototypes I can hold and show to people because they look like they're supposed to be adjusted, right? Mm. Now your your day here for prototype is trying to end up with something that is production ready in the sense that, not that it's real, but people yeah. think that it is, right? That they would yeah. look at it and go, oh yeah, I'm interacting with a real product. Uh, I, I want your reflections on that a little bit and how that yeah. works out. This is like one of the eternal debates in the world of design, which is um, what kinds of prototypes work best. Um, And I think that the reason we debate this so much is that there's no one answer. I think it depends on what questions you're trying to answer. And so I think that's why I think it's so important to start your process with 
those questions. You know, what are we trying to figure out mm-hmm. this week? You know, are we trying to figure out the exact specifications of how this page is going to be laid out? Or are we trying to see if, you know, people understand the concept or whatever? And, and then the prototype that you create comes from whatever those big questions are. Um, with, uh, I think that, that f- prototyping physical products is, is challenging. Um, and so, um, when we've done sprints with teams who are creating physical products, whether it's a, it's a robot or it's packaging for, um, for a, a food or beverage product, or it's even a, a service that's provided in person in a, in a medical clinic, we always try to modify an existing experience or product if possible, because we, it, and again, if the questions we're trying to answer come from, you know, sort of lead us to wanting a high fidelity prototype, then then that's what we'll do because we think that's kind of a shortcut um, to getting a prototype that's going to really help us answer our questions. But another shortcut that we use is to prototype the marketing. Um, and uh-huh. this is actually kind of a, a mantra for me, which is if you're not sure what to prototype, prototype the marketing. You know, think about um, what would the brochure for this look like? What would the what would the website for this product look like? What would the sales deck for this consulting service look like? Look like, mm-hmm. and prototype that thing because that's a thing that you can show to customers, and it's not the same as you know them reacting to the actual thing. But if you're very very early in the product design process, um, and this is literally the first week that you're working on this, you can answer a lot of the really important questions. You can understand whether people get what you're doing, whether they find it valuable. Um, and so that's kind of a, a, a hack or a shortcut that you can use is to prototype the marketing instead of worrying about how you're going to make the actual you know, object or thing l- look real enough. Yeah, it's a really good tip. It, it reminds me of uh, Amazon's product management process to start in the beginning with that PR release, right? Yeah. The, the press release. And uh, s- kind of say, what is the ad? What's the commercial for this product? Yeah. And that one's really interesting because, you know, I, I, I also like that. But I think that's an interesting choice to me because who's the audience for a press release? Right. It's, it's journalists, I, right? I, I think, it, yeah, it's definitely different. And so I don't know if that was intentional. You know, I don't know if... if I don't know if they chose that as their sort of prototype, if you will, because they are thinking about, well, how do we get the word out? Well, who do we need? Like, this needs to sound good to a journalist so that they'll choose to write about it. And I don't know if that was intentional. And I'd love to talk to somebody at Amazon who was who was there, you know, in the, when that practice began. Um, but but I, you know, it it it's not the same as sort of a customer facing prototype right. it, unless your customers is those journalists and so right. that's the thing how I, I always wonder about that that strategy yeah that's a good point I, I do appreciate um, starting early with that notion of what are, how are we going to tell people what, what, what's the messaging here so, yeah okay. yeah okay thank you so much for taking us through that uh, you know the recipe kind of at the top level those five key days the five key steps of a design sprint yeah. as listeners know I love a good innovation quote what do you have for us oh yeah yeah okay let me get uh, switched over here. So yeah, this find, is find that one to read. This is a quote from um, uh, Chuck Swoboda, and Chuck he's not a household name, although he, he may he may become one. He was the CEO of an LED lighting company called Cree, 
And again, not a household name, but this is a really interesting company in um, in North Carolina who basically invented the the LED light bulb. So yeah. not that. Interestingly like, enough, I recently interviewed one of the uh, engineers. About oh, really? This. So yes. Oh, very cool. But, okay, and that's so, why I recognize the name. I'm glad you placed it for me. Oh, I'm that's like, amazing. <laughs> Well, yeah, what a coincidence. So Chuck was the CEO of that company. And and I'll just say really quickly, the thing that I think is so interesting is that they, you know, they, they, they commercialized, they, you know, they didn't invent the LEDs themselves, obviously, but they, they found a way to produce this product in a way that was cost effective and, and, and made sense. And now our homes are filled with LED light bulbs. Um, so anyway, so, so Chuck was the CEO of that company and he's got a, um, the way I got to know Chuck because he um, is an innovator at residence. Uh, innovator in residence at Marquette University here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I live. Um, and so we have met, and he's got a book coming out called The Innovator's Spirit. And the quote that I want to share from him is, well, I'll just, I'll just read it. Um, Chuck says, the pursuit of innovation starts with an idea about how to solve a problem and what that success might look like. And it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it doesn't get, get your, your heart racing, but I, I like this quote because it's so simple because it kind of boils down this thing that feels very, I don't know, abstract and grand and amorphous, you know, innovation, you know, what is that? How do we do that? And what I like about his quote is he says, an idea about how to solve a problem. So I think that speaks to, um, to, to getting in motion, right. To starting, you know, you, you have a spark, like I think if we start moving in this direction, this might be good. And then um, a picture of what success might look like. So that speaks to the importance of, of kind of starting at the end. And, and you sort of, to me, those are just two, um, two approaches or two mindsets that, that we have tried to fit together in the design sprint. And I think anytime that I've seen teams do really innovative work together, they've had that, that sort of magical combination of what is the, what does the end result look like? If, you know, if we, if we're succeed in our, you know, in our wildest dreams, but then mean, meanwhile, you know, what's the first step that we need to take? What's that first direction that we need to go to start to, to validate that approach and answer those big questions? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and getting started. That's a key thing. Yeah. And I had, uh, I have been doing all these interviews recently because I had a uh, summit just a few, uh, few weeks ago. Listeners yeah. are hearing this now several weeks later, but my mind is a bit foggy and I actually did interview Chuck and uh, we talked about his new book. So that will be oh, coming wow. up in just, I think three weeks from the time listeners are hearing oh, that's this. Great. So cool. That would be good. So, um, this is excellent. Thank you for that quote very much. How can people find out about your work and uh, what you're involved in? Yeah, I'm going to give you two websites. Uh, the official site for all things Design Sprint is thesprintbook.com. And depending on when folks are, are watching or listening to this, um, we may or may not have launched our new guide to remote design sprints. So mm -hmm. we're going to be publishing that there. Um, and then as, as your listeners may know, I, um, I also spend a lot of time talking about how People can kind of apply these same philosophies and ideas about kind of restructuring time and focus around the things you care about to kind of personal, individual, everyday life. Um, mm -hmm. And that's wrapped up in a framework called Make Time that Jake Knapp and I have created. And the website for that is maketime.blog. And both of those sites, the sprintbook.com and maketime.blog have lots of articles and resources and tools and, and stuff like that. So those are both uh, great, great places to start if you want to uh, get going with either of these ideas. 
Excellent. And I will put the uh, those links in the show notes. Cool. Along with the last time we talked, we did talk about make time. And yeah. you shared many couple of years ago, wonderful, I, I know, many wonderful tips. And I'll put that link yeah. in that uh, interview as well. Cool. And I have a bonus question for you. Oh, yeah, great. That we're just going to move right into. Cool. So I, I wanted to compare and contrast this to design thinking, um, which is more my ex- experience. I've led groups through workshops of that. And I do put a lot of design thinking does time box things quite a yeah. bit. And I try to get a lot done in a short amount of time. And I've been fairly successful with that. But we certainly don't end up with finished prototypes. You know, they, we might make things out of paper clips and foam. And if we're doing something that's software, it might be, you know, sketches, uh, you know, on a piece of sure. paper. Yeah. Um, contrast that for us. Um, and, and I don't know how much design thinking experience you've had, but where does this kind of fit in a design sprint? Where does it, this fit into things? I do think there are some some tactical differences, like you mentioned, and there are some some philosophical differences I, about um, what's worth doing and what types of prototypes or what types of testing are are worthwhile. Um, and and those you know there, so those differences are there. But I the way that I think about the relationship between design sprints and design thinking is really more at a conceptual level, and I I kind of think of um, design thinking is, is like, you know, it's like the whole world of cooking. It's like, if you, you know, I want to get into cooking, you know, it's, it's, it's this whole universe, but the design sprint is like a specific recipe. So it's a proven approach. It's a step-by-step guide to taking elements from that big world, in this case, big world of design thinking. And, and we have learned a lot from sort of the, the design thinking movement and that framework. Um, but, but the thing that I think is unique about the design sprint is that um, they are packaged into a proven, repeatable step-by-step mm-hmm. recipe so that when you're first starting out, when you're first new to this kind of working and this kind of thinking, you don't have to be thinking simultaneously about both the the process and the work itself you know you you can trust that the process is there and that the process works so that you really focused on on the work that you're doing and and what one of the reasons that i sort of make that distinction and one of the reasons we we were motivated to create the design sprint is that as we were working with startups at google ventures this was in the 2011 2012 that was when a lot of people were really starting to be aware of design thinking and Stanford's D school was like Mm -hmm. really on the map in a big way at that time. And so a lot of teams, we would talk to them and they would say, we, you know, we want to do this design thinking thing. Like, what is it? What is that? And, and, and we found that people often felt overwhelmed. They Mm -hmm. often felt like um, it was, it was so big and there was so many possibilities and it was so abstract that they didn't know where to start. And so one of our motivations with the design sprint was to say, hey, this design thinking thing totally makes sense. There's a lot of really great ideas there, a lot of great philosophies, tactics, principles. Let's translate those into a really specific recipe. And that's what the design sprint is all about. Okay. It's a good contrast. I have not done a design sprint yet, so I'm looking forward to that opportunity. Uh, I, I am learning the, the methodology as we talk about this yeah. and you know, trying to study that more. And I see things line up a good deal between the two. I also know from design thinking workshops um, and maybe other practitioners would have a different opinion on this, but I do agree um, having done that, that there's the overwhelm isn't really an aspect for me, but there's more 
um, orchestrating on the fly to kind mm-hmm. of reflect and capture the the energy of the group mm-hmm. <clears throat> and make sure we're leading someplace that makes sense for us together, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you said, this is a recipe and you can go through the book, you can go through the training and you do step one, step two, step three. It tells yeah. you exactly how long to spend on everything. Well, and if we go back to a, to the cooking metaphor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a, without a recipe, um, you can produce something really spectacular or something really terrible, <laughs> you right, know, right. um, great chefs who cook without recipes, they make food way better than I could, I could ever dream of making but they're not following a recipe. And, but, but at the same time, you know, if, when I first started cooking and I, if I didn't have a recipe, the food was, was garbage. And so, right. you know, it's, um, I think there's a much wider range of outcomes depending on what you said, depending on sort of the skills um, of the facilitator in orchestrating and guiding that team. Um, and the, the design sprint, you know, I think maybe there's a narrower band of possible outcomes. Um, you can be pretty sure that if you follow the steps, you're going to learn a lot. It's right. going to go well. It's going to be a good process. Um, but you're maybe not going to get to that sort of um, life-changing, spectacular outcome that you, you could, in the right hands, achieve with uh, d- design thinking. Really good information. Once again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence, and that influence gives you more confidence so you can do what? Create products that customers love. You'll find the written summary of the discussion with John and that very valuable action guide to help you and your group take action on the concepts that John shared all at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 288. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.